Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Chip Johnson, and I am the preteen pastor here at the church at Indian Lake. And uh, normally on a Sunday, I'm teaching the fourth and fifth grade. So I'm excited to see some of them in here, but uh, delighted that I get a chance to speak to you today. As we start today, I want to go on a little trip. And for those of you under the age of 18, this trip is going to take you to a place that you didn't know existed, the 1900s. So we're going to go back to 1991, if you would imagine March of 1991, where you might have been. Some of you in the room can remember that far back. But in March of 1991, it was a really exciting time for me because I was coming up close on graduation day from college. In May of 1991, I graduated from Lipscomb. But in March, I was finishing up basketball season. And basketball season was a great time for me because for the time that I spent at Lipscomb, I was the public address announcer for the basketball teams, both men's and women's. And I was also the PA announcer for, for baseball. And, and announcing had kind of become my thing. And, and people knew me as, as that guy who announces, you know. So I, I had some notoriety as that announcer. And in March of that year, there was a particular game that was really exciting. It had uh, come down to the, the end of the game. Uh, the Lipscomb Bisons had won the game. And I remember that uh, as I was announcing, I was giving it my all because it was just a fever pitch in the packed McQuitty Gymnasium back in uh, March of 1991. And after the game, I was packing up my stuff and I was watching some kids run around and, and they went over to the, the bench where the basketball players were still uh, gathered and they began to get autographs. And uh, the first uh, player that they went to was Andy McQueen. And Andy McQueen was a three-point shooter. He eventually became the all-time three-point shoot, uh, shooter uh, for Lipscomb in their entire history. And then they moved on to, to Mark Campbell. And Mark Campbell became the all-time assist leader at Lipscomb. And then they, they moved on to the, the biggest player of all, John Pierce. And he is, to this day, college basketball's all-time leading scorer, over 4,000 career points that he had. And so they were getting all of these autographs, and, and you could just see it in their eyes. They were mesmerized by the, the enormity of these players in their minds. And then something very fantastic happened. They came over to where I was at the scores table, and they asked me for my autograph. And at that moment, I was like, yes! I have finally impacted children to become public address announcers. I am, I am leaving a legacy for all PA announcers for the future. This is the best day ever because I am finally known for what I'm doing, and this was so great. And I don't remember how many seconds it took me to give the autograph, but I can tell you to this day the exact number of seconds that it took for that to all come tumbling down because in two seconds they turned and they went to the custodian who was sweeping the floor and asked for his autograph as well. <laughs> and my legacy was, was gone just like that. But we all want to feel like that we have made a difference in our lives. We want to feel like that we have left a legacy for our, our children. And, and there's so much to be said for what we do here in this life. I want to look at a few quotes that talk about this idea of legacy this morning. Uh, the first one is from Jim Rohn. It says, all good men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we could only imagine. I like that one. The next one is from Shannon Alder. It says, carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. The next one is from one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. It says, if you would not be forgotten as soon as you were dead, 
either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. That's a good one. This next one comes from the great philosopher Lionel Richie. I think the whole world is dying to hear someone say, I love you. I don't know if this was before the song Hello or not. I'm not sure. But anyway, I think that if, the, if I can leave the legacy of love and passion in the world, then I think I've done my job. The first service laughed a lot louder at that joke than you guys did. So you might want to wake up. I don't know. Maybe they, they had had more coffee than you had. But the final quote that I want to leave you with is this one, Patty Davis. That is your legacy on this earth. When you leave this earth, how many hearts you touched. As we think about legacy and we think about the impact that our lives have, a lot of times people immediately move to, to, to money and wealth and think, you know, well, if I accumulate enough wealth, I can do something really fantastic. I can donate money and, and build a building and maybe they'll put my name on it or I can uh, work on inventing something that will revolutionize the world. And while those things are noble and, and those things do have an impact, I think that there might be a legacy, and you probably know where I'm going, a legacy that we can look at and, and work towards that is even more important than that of wealth or invention. The Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, the end of the, the passage that Gala just read a moment ago, this is really where we understand the legacy. He says in verse 24, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way as to win the prize. See, Paul likened his legacy to running a race, and he understood it. And today I'd like to share with you some thoughts on running the race, a living legacy, something that I am very passionate about because, believe me, I know that my time on earth has a limit. At the age that I am, I probably am at least halfway into my, my life, uh, lifetime, if not further. And so I've, I'm running out of time to make much of a difference. But I've got these years that I can try to still leave a legacy. And so as we look at this idea today of, of running the race, I've got two questions that we need to answer this morning. And the first one is simply, what is our race? So when I talk about the word race... What comes to mind? Maybe it's runners like these guys here. I know we've got some runners in the audience today, and so they might uh, recognize this uh, first one on the left. I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce his name right. Uh, I, I'm going to say it's Haley uh, Gebersalassi. So if that's not correct, you can correct me after service, but we're going to call him that. So Haley Gebersalassi is known for long-distance running. Before he retired, he managed to win two Olympic gold medals for long-distance running and set 27 world records. He can run marathons. He can run half marathons, 10,000-meter races. He is a fast dude when it comes to long-distance running. Now, the guy on the right, some of you may actually even recognize him from his picture. This is Usain Bolt. And Usain Bolt is, is thought to be one of the quickest humans alive. And he has won eight Olympic gold medals and has set and reset and reset the, the records, the world records, for the 100-meter, 200-meter, and 4 by 100 relay. And so these two guys are fast. And if we lined them up today and we said, okay, we're going to let them race each other, who's going to win? What's the next question that you need to know? What kind of race? Because if it's a marathon, I'm putting my money on Haley. But if it's a 100-meter dash, I think Usain's probably going to take him. So knowing your race is very important. Understanding what race is before you is paramount to understanding what you're going to do in life. The same thing holds true for a, a builder. You show up at an empty lot and there's a pile of wood there. You don't just start hammering 
pieces of wood together. You've got to know what is it I'm building. Am I building a doghouse? Am I building a mansion? Or something somewhere in between. I've got to have a blueprint that tells me what it is that I need to do on this particular site. Cooking is the same way. I, I am a little bit of a geek when it comes to the Food Channel. I love to watch the Food Channel. And one of my favorite shows is Chopped. Any other Chopped fans out there? One or two. All right, in Chopped, you've got four people competing against each other, and they open up a basket, and there are four very random ingredients in there. And they have to, to make something in a certain amount of time. And they don't have much time at all, but the first thing that they've got to do, as soon as they open up that basket, they've got to formulate a plan. They've got to know what race they're running in order to be able to win and get to the finish line. Paul made it very clear what his race was. His race was preaching the gospel and trying to win people for Jesus. But is that our race? If we look in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Jesus' last words while here on this earth before ascending into heaven made it pretty clear. If we look in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, a passage that's commonly known as the Great Commission, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given me, given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So even people that were with Jesus post-crucifixion, they had seen him die and buried and raised again. It says that some doubted, but they were there and they were worshiping. And so Jesus tried to encourage them and give them a final command before he went to be with the Father. And that was to to preach, preach the gospel, baptize those in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. One of the pastors from my my past, uh, Ray McCollum, used to always say, when you're reading the scripture and you see the word, therefore, you've got to look back to see what it's there for. So as you read this and it says, go, therefore, this previous slide says, go, therefore, and make disciples What's the therefore? It's the thing he just got done saying. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus was looking at them and saying, look, I've already done the hard stuff. I died. I beat death. I overcame the grave. All authority has been given to me. All you need to do is go, therefore, and preach. Preach this message. You don't have to die on a cross in order to make the gospel alive to someone else. I've already done that hard work. And so he made it very simple. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, he says it even uh, more succinctly. He said, then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Jesus was telling us what our race is. What is our race to run? It's this race of preaching the gospel. We can see our training regimen or our blueprint or our recipe laid out for us here. And so it's pretty simple. Perhaps. But our second question that we have to answer then, if we know what our race is, is what is our preparation? Anyone who competes will tell you that there's preparation involved. I'm looking down at at Sid because I know he is a marathon runner and a half marathon runner, and I know he runs almost every single day. I see him out when I'm driving through uh, Gallatin, and, and he's running, even on Saturday mornings when he probably doesn't want to, but that's part of who he is as, as he trains. And I know that that training is required because he, doesn't just wa- he didn't just wake up one morning and say, oh, I think I'll run a marathon. He trained, he prepared. You don't walk into a kitchen for the very first time, never having cooked anything, and grab a bunch of ingredients and make a perfect cake the first time from scratch. It just doesn't happen. It takes 
trial and error. It takes practice. You don't pick up a musical instrument for the very first time, never having played, and play a symphony the very first time out. It requires training. And so as we think about our preparation, there's, there's three things that I want us to think about. The training, discipline, and being unrestrained. The writer of Hebrews uses this same runner's analogy that Paul used as he's writing to the, the Hebrews. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it, it says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. So here's that, that word again, right? The very first word in chapter 12, verse 1 is, therefore. And since it's the first word in chapter 12, we've got to look back at chapter 11 in order to know what, he's, what is therefore? What is, he, what is he talking about? What is he referencing as he gives them this idea of running the race? And if you look at chapter 11, a lot of people know that it's called the faith chapter. And it starts out talking about Abraham and Abel, and it starts this whole anthology of telling the Old Testament heroes, those that had faith. And he says, here's a whole bunch of them, and I don't even have time to tell you about. And then he lists a whole bunch more. And so he was letting people know there was thousands and thousands of years where people had faith in God before there was a Messiah. Before there was a Jesus, these men had faith in God. And so therefore, if all of them had faith, now that Jesus has come to this earth, now that Jesus has shown us a living example, how much more faith can we have? How much more faith can we have knowing that we have Jesus who has given us salvation? There was a a story of Pheidippides in Greek history where The Greeks had defeated the Persians, and they needed to send word back to Marathon, and they sent this runner named Pheidippides. And it was a 25-mile journey, which is where we get the marathon races from today, a 25-mile journey that uh, Pheidippides had to go. And he says that he ran the entire way. He ran with endurance to get there. He didn't stop. He didn't give up. And in fact, when he arrived... In Marathon, he announced the news and then dropped dead. Biblical reasons why I will never, ever run a marathon. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the endurance. But anyway, Pheidippides did it. He ran that race. He did this thing that was required of him. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 9, we stopped in verse 24, but we need to keep reading in verses 25 through 27. It says, now everyone who competes exercises self-control In everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You know what? I I grew up most of my childhood thinking that this scripture was saying that my salvation was that prize that I was chasing that I was chasing my entire life, running a race, hoping that on the day that I went to meet Jesus, maybe I had run well enough of a race that I would be saved. And I was so freed in my, in my thoughts and in the way that I looked at things the day that I realized that he's not talking about salvation for us there. He, we're not running a race to try to win our salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. Jesus died on a cross to give us that gift for free. He paid the price. He gave us salvation. His blood was shed and his death covered our sins. 
We don't have to run a race to try to win our salvation. But don't be fooled. We are still running a race. We're running a race that is a true competition each day between good and evil. We're running a race between light and darkness. Running a race to win souls into God's kingdom. Not from each other. I'm not competing with Josh or uh, Becker over there to try to get more souls than the other one. Um, The race is not between us. It's between Christianity and the kingdom of darkness. Our training and preparation is about being ready every single day to love in the face of hate. To unite at times of division. Any of us think that we're living in a time of division in our world? It's about being ready to bring light into darkness, about preaching the gospel, sometimes without saying a single word. It's about bringing up disciples in the next generation of believers. And believe me, it is a competition. If any of you attended a high school football game this weekend, I imagine as you went in the gate, they did not hand you a helmet and shoulder pads and say, all right, you're in. But guess what? There are no spectators in God's kingdom. He's handing you out that helmet and that shoulder pads and saying, get in there. No bench warmers. We're all playing the game today. Are you ready? Are you ready for this competition? Our training comes from two main areas. The first is study. I am uh, so thankful for our church investing in Bible studies. There's Bible studies taking place almost every single night of the week or day of the week here at the church. Uh, one that my wife and I are participating in right now is called Veritas. And for those of you who don't know, it's, it's a course that's being taught to, to help people to understand the truth that are, is in the Scripture. And we use three principles, understanding, application, and communication. And what that means is as we read the Scripture, we try to understand what did it mean back then. Because in the history of the Bible, something that was written 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, good, good possibility it doesn't mean exactly today what it meant then. But we need to understand what did it mean then. And then we need to understand the application. What does it mean today? It might not mean anything today. Maybe it does. But it's, you have to learn how to read for that understanding and application. And then finally is communication. Being able to then share that understanding and application with someone else. These three concepts help us to understand Scripture in a new way. And, and I'm so thankful that I'm getting to go through that course. And if you have uh, ever wanted to understand the Bible better, I encourage you next year to, to sign up for that course as well. The second thing that we can do as we want to uh, train is to pray. So once we've studied, once we have brought the Word of God to life in our own, li- in our own lives, then we need to spend more time in prayer. Pastor Aaron has been encouraging all of us to spend more time in prayer during his uh, sermon series called Ordinary Time. If you have missed any of those, you might go back and listen to some of them because they're, they're great encouragers for why we need to pray. And prayer is often something that's neglected in our lives. We think to ourselves, well, you know, I don't have time to pray right now, I'll, I'll pray later. But somehow later just doesn't come. Prayer has to be something that we block off time and, and do as a priority in our lives. If you've ever watched uh, HDTV and you've watched remodeling shows, uh, and remodeling shows are always talking about, you know, what money that they're going to spend and, and what they're going to fix up. And without a doubt, these people that are on the shows, they always say the, the best return on your investment is to work on your kitchen and your bath, right? I've got a few nods, a few people watch HDTV out there. So the best investment when you're remodeling a house is on those two things. Well, the best investment that you can make in your time is through prayer. 
There is no better investment. There's no better return that you can make in your day than to stop and to pray. While there's lots of other good things that you could do with your time, you could go feed the the hungry, you could go uh, help build a house, you could do all kinds of things, but the best return on your time is prayer. If you're spending time in prayer, you're going to be communicating with God. You're going to be hearing him. You're going to be learning his voice. And when he speaks to you, you're going to be understanding what it is that he wants you to do in your life. So we've accomplished our training through study and prayer. And now it's time for discipline. Discipline is something that a lot of times we don't want to talk about. But if we all want to be disciples of Jesus Christ then guess what the same root word of disciple is? Discipline. Discipline and disciple go hand in hand. You can't be one without being the other. I can't say, Jesus, I want to serve you, but I don't want to be disciplined. It doesn't work that way. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you want to be someone who is learning to be like him, then we have to be disciplined. When people look at our lives, what do they see? Do they see a hot mess? Or do they see someone who is organized and, and living a, a life that is being guided by God? This year I, I started doing something new because I didn't have enough things going on. But I decided that I wanted to be a football official because I, I love football and I wanted to get more exercise. And so I, I signed up and I started going through classes. And one of the first things, the first day they start talking about is is how we appear to the people at the, at the event where we are. And so they said, you know, first of all, your uniform's got to look good. You can't come in there sloppy. You, you know, if your uh, uniform is dirty from the previous game, that's not a good sign. So then we spent an hour practicing throwing the ball to each other because when you're officiating a game, you got to throw the ball a lot. And what happens is if you're not practicing that, you don't, you're not very good at it, you know, you're throwing the ball and it goes way off over here and it rolls and the officials, you look like the Keystone cops running around out on the football field. And nobody's going to feel very confident about your ability to be an official if you can't even throw the ball 10 feet from one person to another person. And so it's all about appearance. And they said, when you're making a call, come charging in and say it with confidence and blow that whistle loud. Because if you say it with confidence, everyone else around you is going to believe, oh, they know what they're doing. So you've got you've to look the part. Don't tell any referees that I told you their secret, all right? So anyway, the idea of being disciplined in our lives, that idea is, is not one that comes easy, but it's something that is visible to the outside. The way that we are disciplined in our lives speaks volumes about who we are. So our training is done. We're disciplined. Now we have to be unrestrained. I have a picture in my mind when I think about the Hebrews writer talking about unrestrained of, of someone living back at that time. They, they wore robes. And the, these robes, they, they oftentimes wore an underrobe and then maybe even a middle robe and then an outer garment. And that outer garment was kind of heavy. And you think about if you had on all those clothes, would it be very easy to run? No. You wouldn't make it very far. I imagine when Pheidippides took off from uh, where he was headed towards Marathon, that even if he was wearing that outer garment, it probably was off pretty quickly because he needed to be able to, to keep his speed. And he had to be unrestrained. Think for, think for just a moment. If today, as we're worshiping God, God speaks to you and says, I want you to go on a mission trip, what would be the first three things that popped into your mind as to why it would be difficult for you to go? 
Yeah. What if God asked you to teach a class here at CIL, maybe Connections, on one Sunday a month? See me after church if you're interested. What if he asked you to do that? What might stand in your way? What might be a hindrance to you being able to follow God's request in your life? What about if, if he asked you to give some money to someone to help them? What things in your life are going to keep you from being able to do that? I've been reading a book for a while now called Simplifying Your Life because I really struggle with this whole thing of simplification. I like to do, take on more and more and more in my life, and, and I do it to myself, much to my wife's chagrin. She often looks at me like, Chip, what are you thinking? But it's just something that I deal with. And so I've been reading this book, and it teaches from a biblical perspective the reasons why and how we need to live uncomplicated lives. And God is working on me about learning how to throw these things off that weigh me down and not taking on things that will keep me from being able to run my race. Um, Most of us wear a watch or we have a clock in our home, and the main purpose of of that item is to do what? Tell time. It's not a trick question. Tell time. And so we look at it, and and the, the quickest that we can tell, I mean, that's why most people have digital faces now instead of the little sweeping hands, because it tells us real quickly. We don't have to think even. I can just look back there and see it's 1145. We've got 15 minutes left. And so the new Apple Watch, you've got a choice of about 60 faces. And the one on the left is, you know, the Roy Clark Big Note Songbook version of a clock. You know, it's, you can, anybody can see that. Even without reading glasses, you can see that it's 1009. Well, the newest face available from Apple is this one that's on the, the right-hand side. And, and on this one, you can tell how much sunshine in the, the top left-hand corner, um, what temperature it is. Down in the bottom right-hand corner, how much you've uh, run today. Uh, left-hand side is a timer. Then you can see the time it is in Cupertino, because we all need to know that. Where the sun is in the sky, uh, what date it is, the fact that we've got an 8 a.m. yoga class. This is obviously not my watch. And so all of these little things that you can add on there, as you're in the, the, the Apple program that allows you to create this face, guess what those are called? Complications. That's what Apple has called them, complications. They've taken something simple I want to look at my watch and see what time it is, and they've added nine complications to it to make it even harder for me to figure out what time it is. I look at that, and I'm like, sometime the sun is almost up. I don't know, but this is the way our life is. We take something as simple as just a watch, being able to tell what time it is, and we add nine things to it that we don't really need because of the fact that that's our human nature. Oh, if eight complications were good, nine is probably better. And those things restrain us. And we need to be able to throw those things off. So we've answered the question about what race are we running. We've answered the question about preparation. It comes from training. It comes from discipline. And it comes from being unrestrained. But the final thing that we need to talk about today is probably the most important and sometimes the thing that we neglect the most, and that's simply to run the race. I'm going to pick on Sid again because he's right there and, you know, I know a lot about him. And so Sid does all this training that if he showed up on the marathon day, he's like, "Uh, I think I'm just going to go back home. What would the training be for? All of the things that he had done, he had on the right shoes, he had on the right shirt, he was unrestrained, he was ready to go. He'd been running, uh, you know, all this time preparing for that day and he shows up and he doesn't run the race. In Matthew 25, 
14 through 30, there's a familiar story, the parable of the talents. In case you're not familiar with it, I'll, I'll, I'll sum up. It's a long story. And so he, uh, and Jesus is explaining to the people about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says it's like this. It's like a man who has a lot of money, and he's about to go on a trip. And he brings three servants of his to him. And he says to the first one, here are five talents. A talent was a measure of money. Here are five talents. Take care of these while I'm gone. And to the second one, he says, here are two talents. Take care of them while I'm gone. And to the third one, he says, here's one talent. Take care of it while I'm gone. And so the, the man goes away, and upon his return, he brings those same three servants to him. And the first one says, Master, while you were gone, I took your five talents, and I put them to work, and, I, and I've made five more. Here are ten talents. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the second one says, Master, I too put your two talents to work, and I have made two more, and now here are four talents. And the third one says, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you do not sow. And I was afraid of you, and so I took my one talent, and I buried it in the ground until just today. And I've unburied it, and now here it is. And the master looked at the servant and he said, You wicked servant, if you knew that I'm a man who reaps where I don't sow, why didn't you at least go put this talent in the bank and gain a little bit of interest while I was gone? And he cast him out. And a lot of times we think about this story mainly because of the fact that the, uh, the money was called talents. And we think about the fact that, that we are given talents and gifts from God. But I'm going to challenge you, maybe this story means a little bit something different today. Because Jesus was trying to get us to understand the kingdom of heaven, not how gifted we all are. And in the kingdom of heaven, there's only one gift that is given, and that's salvation. He gives us this gift of salvation. He gives it to us, and we have then the opportunity to hold on to it and bury it and wait for Jesus to come back, or we have the opportunity to use it, to put it to work, to go out and do something that maybe is a little bit risky, but maybe could double what we've been given. In this parable of the talents, Jesus was wanting us to understand that there's an expectation that we don't just sit on what he's given us, that he wants us to put it to use. You know, people often look at somebody like Billy Graham, a man who brought millions to Christ during his lifetime. This man is bigger than life, and, and he had a gift of evangelism like maybe none other during his lifetime. And while we, you and I, may never go to a stadium and preach to 10,000, 20,000 people, we have a unique opportunity every single day. As a children's pastor or a preteen pastor, I've got a little bit of a unique perspective on things. Because while I think Billy Graham had a great purpose and he fulfilled an amazing part in history of our, in, of our country, he had a Sunday school teacher once upon a time. He had someone who spoke into his life and helped him to be able to understand who Jesus was. Billy Graham didn't come out of the womb, the man that he became. Someone poured into his life, and we know, in fact, that he and his family went to the Presbyterian Church in their little rural community, and that said, the history says that they were there every time the doors were open. And so we know that little Billy Graham was being poured into 
And one day when he was 16 years old, he went to a revival meeting and there was a guy there preaching. His name was Mordecai Ham. I bet none of you ever have heard of Mordecai Ham before today. But Mordecai Ham was preaching the gospel that day and Billy Graham came home and stood in the kitchen of his house with his brothers and sisters and his mother and his father and he said, Mother, today I gave my life to Jesus. And from that day forward, his brothers and sisters saw a difference in his life. He began to change, and we know what happened after that. You know, I bet Mordecai Ham didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to preach today to someone who is going to save millions. He just woke up doing what he knew he was supposed to do. He woke up to run his race that particular day, and what a result that race had. We have no idea what effect we're having day to day on people when we're interacting with them. We have no idea what presence our race is having in their life. But you know what? One day when the master comes back and we account to him, I'm hoping he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran the race that I gave you to run. I may not ever know the impact that what I teach on Sunday morning ever has any effect on anyone. But I'm going to keep running that race. I'm going to keep running that race. I'm going to keep going to Costa Rica and teaching kids vacation Bible school. I'm going to keep doing whatever God calls me to do whenever he calls me to do it because that's the race that he has set before me. I'm going to ask for everybody to stand where you are today. I've just got one question for you at the end of the day. Where are you in your race? Are you still wrestling with what race you're supposed to win or run? Maybe you've come to an understanding of the race you're supposed to run, but you're just not sure about the preparation. Maybe it's tough to become disciplined or to throw off those things that are complicating your life. But no matter where you find yourself today, we all need to make sure that we're spending each day running our race that is set before us. My race isn't your race specifically. Your race isn't mine. But when we spend time in prayer and we spend time in study, God will reveal to us the race that we're supposed to run. As we're preparing for communion and a a time of prayer, I encourage you to ask God to help you to know what your legacy is supposed to be. Because the race that we run, it's a living legacy. It's something that will last for all eternity if we're doing the right race. There's going to be communion open here at the front and the back. After I pray here in just a moment, you can come and and take communion here or at the the back of the auditorium. Also, Pastor Deborah is going to be offering communion through intinction. If you'd like to do that, you can line up here in the middle aisle. There's going to be opportunity for you to, to pray. Take this opportunity and ask God, what do I need to do to start running my race today?